Welcome to another episode of Heart Meets Mind, a podcast dedicated to unpacking deep thoughts about Christianity, the church, worship, and other cultural issues that involve the day-to-day life of the believer. This is your host, Lena Cole, and I am so excited to share with you what Christian worship means. In our last episode, we introduced this new series called Defining Christian Worship. And we talked about how defining worship has been a rather difficult task to do, and how most Christians associate worship with music, with singing, or even an emotional experience. And if you haven't listened to our last episode, go ahead and do that so we can all be on the same page. And I hope that you had some time to think about the questions that I left at the end of the episode, since we will be talking about some of them today. But as I promised, I will share with you my definition of worship. Christian worship can be defined as the ongoing personal and corporate response to the triune God as he reveals himself through his word. This response is characterized by a transformed, sacrificial life of obedience where the worshiper's mind's attention and heart's affection are focused on and directed towards praising Christ for the glory of God the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. And no worries, like I said, I will unpack this long definition and share with you the biblical basis for each part. So let's identify the different parts. Christian worship is a response to a revelation. Christian worship is only possible because of the Trinity. Christian worship is ongoing. Christian worship includes both attitude and physical gesture. Christian worship is transformational. Christian worship is sacrificially obedient. And finally, Christian worship is not only a personal activity, but also corporate. So each of the episodes will focus on one of these parts, so we have time to carefully think about what worship is, and the implications for our lives as worshipers. And today's episode will focus on Christian worship being a response to a revelation. One of the questions from last episode was, who initiates worship? Who is the initiator? And the answer is God. Shocker, but yes, it is God. One of the elements of this definition of Christian worship is response, meaning Christians do not initiate worship, but they respond to an invitation from God. In John 4, verse 23, Jesus teaches that the Father is the one seeking worshipers. Jesus says to the woman at the well, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. The Father is the one inviting them to worship the one true and living God. And this invitation is done through God's self-revelation to His people. Throughout scripture, we learn that the Lord has revealed himself to his people through creation, through divine speech, through his own appearances, scripture, the person of Jesus Christ, and his Holy Spirit. And today, 
the triune God reveals his character, his plan of salvation, and his transformational teachings through scripture. It is through the word of God that he invites his people to behold his majesty and to worship him in truth. Alan Ross says in recalling the hope of glory, the greater our appreciation and apprehension of the majestic God who we say we worship, the greater will be our reverence, adoration, and service. So when God reveals himself, his redeemed people respond with their affections and actions to who God is and what he has done. One of the passages in scripture where this pattern of revelation response is evident is in Exodus 34 verses 5 through 9. And in the passage, we find that the Lord descends into a cloud in Mount Sinai, and he declares his name by saying that he is a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. And Moses, after receiving this self-revelation from the Lord, he bows down and he worships. This was his response. The knowledge of who God is brought forth his adoration in a physical gesture. Another passage where this pattern is evident is in Isaiah 6, which says that in the year that the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, this is Isaiah, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then the passage continues, and it says, then one of the seraphims flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongues from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. When Isaiah sees a glimpse of the holiness of God, he responds in confession of sin because he understands who God is and who he, Isaiah himself, is, a sinner. And later, after receiving God's forgiveness, Isaiah responds by dedicating his life to the mission of God in obedience. So these passages show us that God is the initiator of worship. There is nothing we can do to initiate worship. No lights or smoke, no dark rooms or highly decorated buildings, no new fresh worship songs or legacy hymns, 
None of those things have the power to initiate our desire to worship. We only worship because God has invited us to behold his majesty. And when we behold who God is and what he has done, there is nothing else we can do than to respond with adoration as we praise the creator and ruler of earth. Or with confession as we recognize God's holiness and therefore our own sinfulness. Or maybe we respond with thanksgiving as we thank God for his pardon and for all that he is and has done for us. We may also respond with petition as we learn that he is our father and our provider and he listens to our prayers and provides for our needs. Or we can also respond in dedication as Isaiah did as we hear from his word and we respond in obedience to the calling that he has given us. So our response to God's self-revelation is our worship. So what does this mean for you and me? Our worship is our response as we learn who God is and what he has done. God does not change, and through his word, we can know the truth about him. When you're at home during your devotional time, then burden yourself with the idea that you need to bring some sort of a special emotion or experience into your devotional time. Think of it as you responding to God's invitation to learn more about him and to approach him and enjoy his nearness. In that way, whether you feel like it or not, whether you're having a good morning or not, you can rest assured that God's invitation to worship him does not depend on your feelings. One of the, the methods that I have started to incorporate in my personal devotion is praying through the Bible. Donald S. Whitney is the author of Praying the Bible, and he encourages us to pray through Psalms, New Testament letters, and narratives. And his method is a great picture of what the pattern of Revelation response looks like. You read one verse from a psalm, and then you pray what comes to your mind through that one verse. And then you repeat, and it's like a conversation, a revelation and that response. If you have the chance, you can read this book and understand more of how this method works. And the only reason why it works is because God's truth will always be the same and will always be powerful to impact your life and for you to respond to it as well. And then what does this mean for the church? As we will learn later, worship is also a corporate activity. And music is an expression that we use to respond to God's revelation. But for now, then burden yourself by thinking that if you don't raise your hands or if you don't cry during the invitation, that means you're not worshiping. In the same way, don't burden your worship leader by expecting him to pick the exact music and create the perfect environment that allows you to worship. That is not their job. The job of the worship leader is simply to facilitate worship, but the only one that can initiate it is God. God is the one who initiates worship. And finally, if you're a pastor or a worship leader, please don't give music, technology, or traditions the power that only the Word of God has. If you want to be part of a congregation of genuine worshipers, if you want your congregation to respond genuinely to God, 
You just need to gather around the word of God and respond to his truth. It doesn't matter what style your church likes. It doesn't matter what language it is. As long as it's centered on the word of God, people are going to respond genuinely in worship. So let the word of God be present in your service from the beginning to the end. So the people that you're leading have the opportunity to respond and to praise God for who he is and for what he has done. And we have arrived to the end of this first episode on defining Christian worship. In the next episode, we will talk about how the Trinity is what makes Christian worship possible. But for now, let me leave you with some questions for you to think about this week. The first question is, how has the aspect of Christian worship being a response to God's self-revelation changed the way you think about both your personal and corporate worship? The second question comes from Dr. Crowder's book. It's called Scripture Guided Worship. And he asks, when considering the fact that God is self-revealing, can Christian worship be effectively facilitated without the scriptures being read through the corporate gathering? And then the last one will set us up for next episode. And the third question is, what do you think is the role of the Trinity in Christian worship? Like I said before in our last episode, you can also find these questions in our description below. And we will be sharing recaps of the episode and the questions through our social media platforms and email. So if you haven't, you can check our website. It's livingonthealtar.com. You can subscribe and you can also find our social media handle there. And if you want to access the sources behind this episode, you can also visit our website and go to our page Heart Meets Mind. Thank you so much for listening and this was another episode of Heart Meets Mind by Living on the Altar.